Shalom Aleichem, Shavuatov, to all of you listeners of this great station. This is Rabbi Albat from SLC. I'm going to be speaking about the parasha we read yesterday. The very first pasuk says, Vayigash elav Yehuda. Yehuda is approaching Yosef, who is the viceroy of Egypt, almost like a king. And his decisions are final. Imagine the scenario we're talking about here. We have this big, huge courtroom uh, with uh, Yosef uh, Asadik, who was a viceroy, sitting on a throne with guards all surrounding him. And we have these 10 people somewhere in the back there pleading for their brother. They want their brother to be released. Especially Yehuda, because he was the guarantor. So Yehuda, Vaigash, he approached the king. And he's making a frantic plea for his brother Benjamin. Now, what happened? Well, if you remember from the last paragraph of the parasha we read the week before, uh, Yosef gave the order to put the silver cup in the sack of Benjamin. And of course, it was found out. They found that he was that. So they, they consider him a thief. Binyam is a is a thief. I mean, he was caught red red-handed. He was. Everybody sees the evidence. No question about it. Uh, of course, he was framed. We know that. But as far as Yehuda and his brothers are concerned, they don't know he was framed. He's a thief. So Yehuda himself, in the end, the last parasha, he ruled. He gave his own ruling. And he said, you know what? He told Yosef, all the brothers would be slaves. Yosef says, no, 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 no. Halil Ali, I don't want all of you to be slaves. No. God forbid. I shouldn't do that. Only Benjamin is a thief. He's the one that's going to stay here. You, you are free to go. Go away. That's when Yehuda started his defense. Now, when you look at this whole paragraph, a beautiful paragraph, you ask yourself, what is what are the arguments of Yehuda? What is his line of defense? What's he, what's he doing? Basically, when you sift through that whole thing and analyze it, I come up with two arguments that he has. He said, well, Benjamin should not uh, stay. Why? Because if he does not go back, his father will surely die from the anguish. In other words, if you, you, you're punishing Benjamin, you're going to be punishing somebody else. His father's going to be dying. That's first line of defense. Second, he says, you know what? Benjamin is younger than me. I am more experienced. I am more mature. I am stronger. I'll take his place. I'll be a much better slave. I'll serve you better. And let him go. These are the two arguments. The father and the fact that Yehuda is going to substitute for his brother. Now, I am not a civil judge. Uh, I was never a judge in a court of law here. But I don't think 
that in a regular court of law, these arguments will fly. Look, if a guy commits a crime, a burglary, okay, and he goes to court, and the judge sentences him to, let's say, five years in jail, then comes the brother or somebody that says, you know, Your Honor, please, send him, release him, I'll take his place. Is that going to fly? Of course not. Not going to do it. Or if he tells, Your Honor, you know what? If you're going to punish this this person, his father was in Los Angeles, was an elderly person, going to die from anguish. Is he going to be acquitted? I doubt it very much. If the judge, if the judge is compassionate, maybe he'll reduce the sentence a bit. That's about it. So what's going on? But here it's working. Immediately after these two arguments, Yosef al-Sadiq said, yes, go. He reveals himself. Now, I really have two questions here. Question number one, how come Yehuda, who's such a great defense lawyer over here, a great orator, why didn't he why didn't he do anything before? Why wait until now? He could have saved himself and his brother a lot of trouble by by talking before. Why wait until this second? That's 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 really one of the major questions that I have. Okay, now, then, and why, why, but these arguments here are, the second question is, these arguments really are not, are not any strong arguments. So what's, what's the idea behind this whole thing? Well, the first question can be answered simply. Yehuda and his brothers all along, as they were going back and forth and so on, talking with arguments with Yosef, all along they were thinking, reason why they're being punished, because they sold their brother Yosef. They thought, okay, they're being punished for that. You're pleading with us. Have mercy on me. Take me out of this. Take me back to my father. We didn't listen to him. We didn't listen to him. So they figured, okay, they're being punished for that. But now, what's happening here? Yosef is ruling. Benjamin stays and all of you go. But Benjamin was not in the sale. He was not there at all. But something is wrong. Yehuda all of a sudden understood something is wrong here. Now is the time to do something. That's the talk. Now, the second question is, these arguments, how come over here they work? Because in this case, we're not talking about court of law. We're talking about Yosef al-Sadiq. What was the whole purpose, the whole objective of Yosef al-Sadiq? To tell them, go back and forth, and this, or this whole thing. What, what was, what was his, his goal? His goal is to make sure that the brothers have made Teshuvah, that they repented, that they regretted what they did to him. Okay? He wanted to see whether they made real Teshuvah about selling Yosef. He wanted to be convinced of that. 
Well, see, they, they, they really develop love for their brother. And now, that's exactly what happened. Yes, they have developed tremendous love for their brother. Yosef sees that all of them are willing to stay slaves. And Yehuda is saying to him, look, I'm willing to take his place. Now, who would do a thing like that? Let him go. I'll take his place. Once he saw that, that's when Yosefa finally said, well, now I could see my brothers have met the Shuvah. They repented. Okay. Now, let me ask you a question. Are there many lessons that we can learn from this whole paragraph? That's, uh, uh, but what is the, a major lesson that we learn from here? And that's the following. Even if we are faced with the biggest hurdles, even when we see great problems and difficulties ahead, we should not give up. We have to keep on trying. Yehuda knew he had very little chance to win this case. I mean, the evidence was clear for all to see, but he kept on anyway. This lesson is part of our entire Jewish history. All throughout the ages, we have been with struggles that were so hard, so tough, yet we survived them all. We can learn even Yaakov Avinu. He knew his brother Esau was coming after him with 400 soldiers, four warriors. What chance did he have to win? He didn't give up. He didn't give up. Try. Abraham Avinu went to war against four powerful kings with only 318 of his people. What chance did he have to win? He didn't give up. He was victorious. The Hashmonaim battled against a powerful Greek empire. Just Hanukkah, just passed by. Rabim biyad me'atim, kibborim biyad halashim. He didn't give up. Why? When we fight for the right cause, when we are fighting for Torah, when we're fighting for our religion, giving up is not an option. Not an option. Perhaps this is what it says in Parashat Lech Lecha. Maybe Hashem is telling us that this is the way we are. What does it say there? HaKadosh Baruch Hu took Avraham Avinu outside. He says to him, Vayotze oto ahutza. Vayome, he said to Avraham Avinu, Habetna HaShamayma, look up, Usfora Kuchavim, and count the stars, Im Tochal Esporta, if you can. Now, it's obvious that you cannot. It's millions of them. Who can count the stars? It confused right away. It can do it. But what happened? Oh, so Abraham Avinu, okay. Hashem tells him, go count. He starts counting. One, two, three, four, five, six, and so on. Now, the simple shot of Ko is, okay, your offspring will be as numerous as the stars. That's a simple shot, but there's another shot. You see, I told you, Hashem is saying, I told you to go and count. 
And you cannot count, obviously. But you didn't say to me, Hashem, how can I count? It's impossible. No. He went ahead and started counting, even though it's impossible. Go Your offspring will be the same way, even when faced with impossible situations. They will keep on doing and fighting for it. For the right cause, you do it. Abutai. We are facing a similar situation now. Recently, the government, the state government, is attacking our yeshivot. They're claiming that our yeshivot are not offering the requirement minimum of secular studies. And the government wants to force the yeshivot to teach a minimum of 35 hours a week of secular studies. 35 hours a week. You know what that means? Seven hours a day. Seven hours a day. Ridiculous. Why are they saying, oh, the yeshivot are not uh, really up to par with the public schools? That's a lie. It's no fact that our yeshiva students excel in regents' examinations, and they surpassed the public school by a wide margin. Their argument has absolutely no basis. Who would believe that in the United States of America nowadays, where supposedly we have freedom of religion, now the state government is interfering with our education, and for no reason. Rabbutai, this is a time of distress for all of us. And we should all get united and fight these regulations with all our resources. This is not the time to take a laid-back attitude and hope that things will settle on their own. No. If anyone has any power to deal with this issue, he must do it. He must do it now. This is the time to act. You know, some people say, well, what happens if we don't listen to these new rules? Well, don't have gone. we don't listen to them. Continue our current schedule. That's not an argument. Why? Okay, the government is not going to come in with police and, uh, and, and beat up the people like they used to do in, in the past. No, but they have another kind of baton, another kind of belt, and that is the funds. They will withdraw all the funds to the yeshivot. And the tuitions will go sky high. That's no good. As it is, we all know, many families struggling just to keep up with the current tuition fees. We are what I would call in a state of quiet distress. It's not a violent one. No one is going to burn or destroy our buildings. But nevertheless, as Rab Elia Brudnia Shalita Rosh Yeshiva of Mir Yeshiva said, this is a et tzara. We are now in a time of tzara, in a time of trouble. The government is attacking our most cherished legacy, our Torah. Our children are our future. They are the ones who will carry over 
the holy mission of teaching our Torah. We cannot just sit still. We have to act and fight these laws in court, even if we have to take them to the Supreme Court. Teaching our children is of prime importance. Perhaps this is what our parasha means when later, you know, when the brothers came and told Yaakov Avinu, Oh, hold yourself high. Yosef is still alive. And he is the ruler of all Egypt. The Torah says after that, Yaakov Avinu's heart like turned away from these words, which means he did not believe it. What a minute. What do you mean he did not believe him? We got here 11 brothers. Are they conspiring all to lie? Why should they lie? Anyway, something like this is a fact. It's subject to verification anyway. Either he's alive or not, and we can find out very easily. What does that mean? He didn't believe. No, it's not that. Oh, he believed them that he was alive. Physically. But after they followed it up by saying he was a ruler, that's what bothered him. He's a ruler in a land where immorality is rampant. Abu Dazara in every home, full of tum'ah. In his mind, right away, Yaakov Avinu said, Oh, must be that he has been contaminated. Maybe he was assimilated. Well, that's not alive. That's not alive. He's supposed to have 12 sons. All Kesherim, all 12 Shabbatim. He who has kids, and God forbid, God forbid, the Mahali Shabbat publicly is considered Hasuk Banim. Has not fulfilled the Mitzvah properly. You see, the Torah says, Kitvulachem etashirazot, which is the Torah. Write the Torah. What is it right after that? You're not writing the Torah just for, just for the sake of writing it. No. Never should be forgotten. Also, what's the last mitzvah? To write the Sefer Torah. And what's the first mitzvah? First and last, when you put them together, you get one thing. The reason for the Torah, to write the Sifre Torah, is to teach. The, the Mitzvah, Pirah, Veribiyah, and the Sifre Torah are together. You write Sifre Torah because you want to teach it to your children. Our children are of prime importance. And we cannot, we cannot just, you know, take a laid back attitude. No way. There's one rabbi that said, you know why we are called Yehudim? So, okay, the, 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 the Pashut Pshat is because we are from Shabbat Yehuda. Well, it's true, mostly from Shabbat Yehuda, but we also have, uh, there was Shabbat Minyamin also there. Secondly, Kohanim and Leviim, they're also from Shabbat uh, Levi, not from Shabbat Yehuda. But he said, you know what? The reason why we are Perhaps what we call Yehudim 
is because of what it says in the parashat today that we read yesterday. Vaygash Yilav Yehuda. Yehuda was, was, his face was against the wall. He was looking at a, a straight mountain that cannot be climbed. Well, you know what? He didn't give up. Vaygash Yilav. He went ahead and tried what he can do. We don't give up. That is one of our values. When we're faced with the right cause, when we are faced with standing by our Torah like we are today, we say, Ko Abraham could not count. He counted anyway. He did impossible. That's what we have to do. Ko I, um, I want to continue by always, as I say, try to contribute to this beautiful station, make an effort. We need it, and it's very good for the public. If you have any simha, please call our office at SLC. We have a beautiful hall. We can accommodate any simha of yours. Shabbat Tov. Shalom Aleichem.